0: This morning we are continuing our study in the Gospel of Matthew, Behold Your King. Uh, You just got a brief preview this morning. Starting next week, we're going to be slowing down. We've been kind of moving on through the first chapters of the Gospel of Matthew. Next week, we slow down. Next week, we'll begin um, a series on the Beatitudes that we're entitling Favor Full. Uh, Andrew Gross will be bringing the word next week, and we'll be having, he's put together another incredible, it's just, already, I already got a preview copy, it's just a tremendous Lenten booklet for us to help us go deeper. Uh, on the uh, 15th of February, uh, Peg McCormick is going to be sharing next week. Andrew will be sharing on Blessed Are the Poor in Spirit. Peg will be sharing on Blessed Are Those Who Mourn. And uh, then on the 22nd, uh, Pastor Ben will be sharing, I'll be back, but Pastor Ben will be sharing, on blessed are the meek, and it uh, just feels like God has lined up, not just the Word, but those who are bringing the Word, uh, because it's their life, so lived out before us. So this morning, uh, if you have your Bible, I would invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew is the first book of the New Testament, and uh, we're going to be looking at uh, Matthew chapter 4 beginning in verse 12. But let me just uh, kind of give us a quick run-up to that. In the end of Matthew chapter 3 is um, where Jesus is baptized by John the Baptist and a voice comes from heaven and says, this is my son, my beloved son, in him I am well pleased. And, And in that moment... Uh, Jesus receives an affirmation of his identity as a son and his destiny as a servant. And so if you if you ever miss any of the of the messages, you can uh, get a hold of them. Uh, there are CDs in the back with the PowerPoints available for you. They're also available online at our website, BethelTwinCities.org, and I encourage you to kind of grab hold of these because they, they do build on each other. Each message is you know, stand alone, but, but if you want to get the full flow of that. So, so Jesus walks into this place of affirmation. We, he, he has his identity. He has his destiny. And then uh, he immediately is led by the Spirit into the wilderness for a time of testing. And um, last week, and I'm not going to take time to review that this morning, we looked at some significant principles related to testing. We looked at the practices of testing, the specific tests that Jesus went through, and the purposes of testing, which are to actually expose and test our heart, as well as to confirm within us the goodness of God in our lives. Now, this morning, we are going to turn our attention to Matthew chapter 4, verses 12 to 15. So if you have your Bible or you can use the Bible located in front of you, I would encourage you to have the Word with you this morning and uh, on your smartphone or wherever it is, uh, please put away the candy crush if that's uh, what's happening right now because that probably won't help you uh, or angry birds or whatever else is your uh, addiction of choice. Um, All right, so did I say that? Sorry. Um, Okay, so when Jesus heard... That John had been put in prison, he withdrew to Galilee. Leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali, to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah. Land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, the way of the sea along the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people living in darkness, have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. And from that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent, repent, For the kingdom of heaven has come near. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. And they were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. And come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to catch people. And at once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. And they were in a boat with their father, Zebedee, preparing their nets. And Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria, and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain. The demon possessed, those having seizures, and the paralyzed, and he healed them. And large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan followed him. All right, before I unpack this in a little bit more detail, I just want to back up for a moment and and have you take notice of those first verses that we just read, Matthew 4, 12 to 16, which Matthew... um, again, is the gospel writer who is most directly writing to a Jewish audience. And so throughout the book of Matthew, you will take particular note that he often refers and comes back to the Old Testament and draws upon the promises and the prophetic words of the Old Testament to confirm the work and the life of Jesus Christ as the Messiah, as the Christ, as the King. So he refers back here to Isaiah chapter 9, a a, a verse that we often quote during the Advent season, where it talks about, because it's one of the prophetic words that confirms Jesus as the fulfillment of the prophetic promises of the Old Testament related to the Messiah, the Christ. It says, Land of Zebulun and Land of Naphtali, the way of the seal on the Jordan. And I want you to underline in your Bible, perhaps not in the Pew Bible, but or in your notes, uh, where it says, Galilee of the Gentiles. Galilee of the Gentiles. When Jesus came and, and moved to Capernaum, there. Leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum. It was a very strategic move directly connected to the mission that Jesus had. Because when he moved to Capernaum, he actually moved geographically, locationally, to a region of Israel that, number one, was the most densely populated area outside of perhaps the city of Jerusalem, but it was the most densely populated region in Israel. Secondly, it was the area that was surrounded by Gentiles. Sometimes I say here, I mean, you know, uh, St. Paul is a... Is a um, City of neighborhoods and Bethel Christian Fellowship. We're 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 in Ward One and, and we're actually in technically in the Miriam Park neighborhood, but I never quite feel like that because we're sort of in a little bit of an island. We've got you know Summit Avenue on the south and we have the the Ad Mill Road coming to you know before us on the on the uh, east and, and Snelling here on the west and just north of us here we've got Marshall and 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 the and ninety four and so we've got all of this boundaries, and so we're kind of in this island, but if you go any direction, you can be in very different kinds of neighborhoods. Well, similarly, Capernaum was located right in an area that was surrounded by a whole host of different Gentile areas and Samaritan villages. And so it was kind of right in the midst of the melting pot or in the midst of the stew, culturally, of that whole region. Probably the most diverse area of anywhere in Israel. And that's where Jesus begins his formal ministry. That was not an accident that was very intentional on Jesus' part. And it's embedded right there, even in the prophetic word, in Isaiah 9. Because you go on and it says, The people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. And you'll notice when you go down just a little bit further into verse 24, news about him spread all over where? Syria and large crowds from Galilee and the Decapolis the 10 cities in Jerusalem Judea and the region across the Jordan followed him and so people from all over began to hear so it was kind of a it is like Jesus put down his prophetic mission roots right down into the center in order to have the maximum impact then going out and spreading out ultimately to the whole world. So I just wanted you to take note of that. So we we read through these portions of Scripture quickly sometimes, but if we take a moment to to pause and maybe dig in a little bit deeper, we discover that there's very significant, um, impactful reasons for, you know, Jesus wasn't just sort of wandering around. (laughs) He was very intentional about his identity and his destiny, who he was as the son and his destiny as a servant and what he was called to be doing. So we're going to talk about three things. We're going to talk about the mission, we're going to talk about the method, and thirdly we're going to talk about the message, all right? So we're going to be covering some familiar ground. For some of you, you will have heard pieces of this message or parts of these, you know, things unpacked for you before. For some of you, it will be the first time, and for all of us, it's kind of the first time that I've put things together in this particular way, and so I want you to hear afresh what the Lord has to speak to us this morning about the mission, about the method, and about the message itself. So the mission here is extending the kingdom. We get... A, a, a picture of that right here in Matthew four seventeen. Mark uses the same thing. I mean, uh, the, the gospel writers are very clear. This was the message, that this was the center of what Jesus, of his mission here on earth. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Jesus talked about the kingdom of God more than anything else while he was here on earth. He talked about the kingdom. Matthew calls it the kingdom of heaven. The other gospel writers call it the kingdom of God. It's synonymous in our understanding. I want us to understand that we're talking about the kingdom, capital K. Now, to understand the kingdom of God, let me come back to a familiar diagram to some of you. One way to help understand this would be uh, to think about World War II. In World War II, there was a very significant event that took place uh, towards the end of the war that we know as D-Day. When D-Day, when they uh, stormed the beaches of Normandy and the Allied forces came, effectively on D-Day, the Allied forces, the, the, the whole shift of the battle changed. And from that point on, basically, the war was finished. And yet, it wasn't until V-Day and the final treaties, peace treaties were, were written and signed that the war actually ended. Between D-Day and V-Day, even though it was a shorter period of the war, more people lost their life in that section of time than at any other point in the war. We, as the Church of Jesus Christ, are living between D-Day and V-Day. These were living between Jesus' first coming and his second coming. So this present kingdom, which is described in various scriptures, began when Satan fell, and then when Adam and Eve fell in the garden, and this present evil age, this present kingdom and the prince of the air and all of that came onto earth, and, and from that point on, This present kingdom has been going on. So so we live in the context here on earth of this present kingdom. But when Jesus came in his first coming and said, from that time on, he said, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. He was saying, the kingdom to come has arrived. It is inaugurated. It has begun. That kingdom will be consummated and the fulfillment of that kingdom will happen when Jesus comes his second time. In between, we live as the church. The church lives in the context, in the tension between those two realities. This between Jesus' first coming and Jesus' second coming. And it is in that tension point that we live as the church. So we have one foot in this kingdom and one foot in the kingdom to come. Now the mission of extending that kingdom... Um, Matthew already gives us a hint of that starting in Matthew chapter 9, I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 4, those first verses that we just read out of Isaiah chapter 9, but if we go on now in Isaiah 9, we find in verse 7 in this familiar scripture of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. And he will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Now, did you see that? Say with me, will be no end. Will be no end. Say, no end. No end. His kingdom will extend. And in it there will be no end, and he will reign on David's throne. So you've heard me share this before, but let me remind you again, because sometimes people get very fuzzy about what the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God is. They think it's something that's in the, in the distant there and beyond. It's in somewhere, sometime. It's, it's not in the here and now. It's in the there and the thereafter. But the reality is, is the kingdom of God is present here and near and now as well. And so when we talk about the kingdom of God, what we're talking about is, first of all, the rule of God, of the greatness of his government, Now, let me be very clear. We're talking about the rule of God, not simply the rules. I mean, there are rules that are a part of his rule, but we're talking about the fabric and the framework which he has established for how his kingdom will operate. So we're we're looking at the rule of God established. Now, when we look around our culture today and the cultures of this world, we see an abject lack of the rule of God, right? Right? We see a lot of lack of rule. But Jesus says, of the greatness of his government and peace. Because when he, it, 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 the, the peace, his, when his rule is established, that's when true peace and shalom will come. The second has to do with his reign. The reign of God. So again, we're not talking about a geographic realm We're talking about his reign, his lordship and kingship over all things. Now, one piece of this that sometimes we miss is that the rule and reign of God brings transformation, yes, to individual lives, but also to societal structure that actually the rule and reign of God is intended to start to bring transformation even to the structures, the societal fabric around us. And that happens through individuals in whom his rule and reign has been established and is extending, and as we extend, and as we, again, this year's theme of favor, we are called... You know, this favor isn't about bless me, it's about blessing, it's about leveraging his favor for the benefit of a wounded and waiting world. The method comes from following Jesus. Following Jesus. So let's go on in our text. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, verse 18, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net <laughs> into the lake for they were fishermen. Come follow me and I will send you out to catch people. And at once they left their nets and followed him. Come follow me. I'm going to send you out to fish for people. Now, now, There are three calls that Jesus gives in our lives. The first call that he gives is, come to me. This is the call of salvation. It's an invitation to receive a new identity. It's the call of salvation to receive a new identity as a child of God. Sometimes we think that that's the end of the call. But it isn't. It's the beginning of the call because the second call is come after me, which is the call of discipleship, which is an invitation to a new maturity. God loves you too much to leave you the way you are. He loves you too much to just let you be. When you come to God, you are, your life. I mean, you know, he's going to Here's the deal. As as Pastor Ned Berube always says, um, God is God and he actually thinks that he owns you. Well, the fact is he does because you've been bought with a price. So you're his. (laughs) You've been bought with a price. You're his. He owns you. So he has a desire to disciple you into maturity so that you can become all that God has called you to be. Thirdly, he says, come with me. And this is the invitation, the call to intimacy an invitation into your destiny as his servant, as his friend, into the fullness of what God has for you. Come to me, come after me, come with me. Don't stop (laughs) at the first call. Keep stepping forward. This is what we're celebrating Lent for, is to help you come after him and come with him more. Connect into a Lent small group. Begin to experience what it means to have relationship with others. Let me me talk about that for a moment. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants. This is Jesus speaking in John 15, 14 to 17. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends for everything that I learned from my Father I've made known to you. You Listen to this. You didn't choose me, but I chose you, and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command. Love each other. Two things that I want you to take note of here. The first is this is a very personal call. Jesus comes and he chooses us. We are chosen by the king and we must respond with allegiance to him and his purposes. There is really no other response, you know, that is adequate for his choice of us. He chose me. He chose you. It's a personal call, but it's not only that, it's a corporate call because we are chosen by the king and must respond with allegiance to him and His people. I love this. This is another um, Pastor Nedism today, so I'm using two. You know, he says, at the end of the day, he says, when I talk to people, I tell them, at some point, you're going to have to decide who your people are, and those people are your people. And you don't want to get to the end of your life and not have a people who are your people. Okay? So you choose to be a part of God's people. There is no lone rangers in the kingdom of God because we are a part, we are called to a corporate call to an allegiance not only to the king, but allegiance to the king's people. Imperfect as they are. Thankfully here at Bethel Christian Fellowship, you know, the vast majority of us are perfect, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah. Uh Uh-huh. No? Probably not so much. So with all of the warts and challenges and beautiful, wondrous messiness of who we are, this is your people. This is it. I often tell people when they come to Bethel and, you know, stuff starts happening and all the things I said, welcome to what I call good, clean, creative chaos. But this is who we are. This is this is our people. This is us. I love this story. I ran across it. Again, um, just this week, and I, I thought I'd share it with you. Um, it's, a, it's a great story. So it's an incident that happened in Borneo. This, this is about allegiance to the king and, and chosen in responding with allegiance to him and his purposes and his people. This is an incident that happened in Borneo during the confrontation between Malaysia and Indonesia in 1964. A group of Gurkhas, this was a particular people group from Nepal, were asked if they'd be willing to jump from the transport planes into combat against the Indonesians if the need arose. The Gurkhas had the right to refuse because they'd never been trained as paratroopers. Now, the Gurkhas usually agreed to anything, but this time they provisionally rejected the plan. But the next day, one of the non-commissioned officers sought out the British officer who had made the request and said they had discussed the matter further and would jump, but only under certain circumstances. The British office asked what those circumstances were, and the Gurkhas told them, well, they would jump if the land was marshy or reasonably soft with no rocky outcrops because they were inexperienced in falling. The British officer considered this and said, well, the dropping area would probably be over the jungle and there would be no rocky outcrops, and that seemed all right, so he asked if there was anything else. Yes, the Gurkhas said, they wanted the plane to fly as slowly as possible and no more than 100 feet high. The British officer pointed out that the planes always flew as slow as possible when dropping troops, but to jump to jump from 100 feet was impossible. The Gurkhas wanted to know why. Well, the British officer explained, well, the parachutes wouldn't have time to open at that low of a height. The Gurkha leader was a bit surprised and said, well, that's all right then. You didn't mention parachutes before. <laughs> we'll jump with parachutes anywhere. Love that A little cross-cultural communication happening there, all right? And sometimes it feels like that. God says, What want you to jump. And we're like, but, yeah, ha, ha, ha. But God knows. He knows our lives. He knows what we're able to do. He knows what we're capable of. And we can trust him that he has our best in his heart. Right? Because he chose us. And he appointed us to go and bear fruit. Now, the message is the gospel of the king. All right? The mission is extending the kingdom of God. The method is pretty simple. It's following the king, following Jesus. The message is his gospel. Jesus went throughout Galilee teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. He went through teaching and proclaiming the good news. Proclaiming. Proclaiming is we're announcing, we're preaching the arrival of the king and his kingdom and we disciple and teach the truth of the king and his kingdom. So we're announcing his arrival and we're teaching the truth about his kingdom. And then the demonstrating part of this is that we represent, we represent the king and his kingdom through wonders, demonstrations of power, and works, demonstration of practical good. So, this is the message that we're doing. This is the message that we're proclaiming. We're proclaiming and demonstrating the kingdom. Announcing, discipling, and representing the king. That's it, people. That's what it's about. And through that, because of that, the kingdom of God then gets extended. We talked about that a lot yesterday at the annual celebration, and I was reminding the Membership celebration. I was reminding folks, you know, when I came 25 years ago, the word that I spoke on that Sunday night that I was here for my candidate weekend on July, I'm sorry, January 14th, 1990. The word I spoke was from Isaiah 54:2. Enlarge the place of your tent. Stretch your tent curtains wide. Don't hold back. Lengthen your cords. Strengthen your stakes. It goes on in verse 3. For you will spread out. To the east, the west, the north, south, you're going to spread out. Enlarge. Extend the kingdom. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, and a recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This was Jesus' word in, Isaiah, in Luke chapter 4, verse 18 and 19, preaching out of Isaiah 61. This is the favor. Remember, we are called to leverage. This year of favor, the picture of Esther and the scepter of the king coming down. The scepter of the king has come down to us, and his favor is upon us. But his favor is upon us for the benefit of a wounded and waiting world. And we are to leverage that favor in order to help folks and proclaim the reality and represent and teach the reality there is rest for the harassed and helpless, there is release for those that are bound, and there is restoration for those that are broken. This is the message of the King that we are to bring wherever God has taken us. Whatever place of influence, in your home, in your neighborhood, in your workplace, in your school, wherever it is, to the Congo, to Kenya, to Ethiopia, India, Malaysia, and beyond. This is the call. And it's the call on this house. It's the call on our lives. Come to me. Come after me. Come with me. Oh, there's parachutes? Remember that the next time you go, I can't do that. God knows. He's with you. I think it was Peterson that introduced us to this song a couple months ago, Build Your Kingdom Here, and I I love it. But part of the reason I love it is because of the impact of the words. I mean, they really are, it's really an intercessory prayer song. And it fits so well with the message this morning. Come set your rule and reign in our hearts again. So this morning, maybe you hear the Lord calling you. For some of you, the call may be, come to me. And maybe you've never come and received Christ as your Savior. Today, you hear him say, come to me. You've been trying this on your own for a while It's maybe not working out quite so as you expected. Come to me. Some of you are hearing a call to a deeper maturity and you're saying, come after me. And and it's like, I, I hear that call. I've been a believer now for 50 years. You'd think I'd have it, you know, you'd think I'd be grown up now. But I feel like I'm still growing up now. Is there still places God's still showing me and revealing more? So maybe this morning you hear, come after me and some of you are hearing even that deeper call come with me come into the fellowship of my suffering come into the fellowship of my glory that's what his friends do but you want to follow the king with the message of the kingdom to help extend his kingdom I'm just going to open up the altar here and we're going to close in prayer after we sing the song and then we'll have some other the worship team will continue to worship which you're welcome to do but I'd like us to respond to the word this morning So, uh, yeah. So this title, Growing... What did I title my message again? Growing in favor through activating. So we live in an information society. The kingdom is a transformation society. So now you know stuff. That doesn't mean you're doing anything isn't about just knowing more stuff. Now we want to activate it, all right? So if you'd like that activated, why don't you stand to your feet. And if you want to come and step on out, you're welcome to do so. Please stay in the building or in the room until we have a closing prayer. But let's pray this as an activation prayer. And if you want to come on up and just take a step to come to after or with him more, do it. All right. Jesus, we do pray. That you enable us here to fulfill the call that you've put upon us. To radiate your life in joy as a house of prayer for all nations. Do your work in and through us, we pray. And may the fullness, God, of your kingdom be upon us and flow through us, we pray. And now with open hands, I pray that you would be filled afresh this very day with the immeasurable love of God the Father, with the irresistible mercy and grace of Jesus Christ the Son, with the inexhaustible strength and power, comfort and hope of the Holy Spirit, be with you and yours. As you go from this house to yours, sent to make disciples of all nations, go with the banner of his favor over your lives. And until we gather again, either in this house or in our eternal home, I pray that his love and goodness and mercy Will chase you down every day of your life. In the name of Jesus, I bless you. Amen. Hallelujah. Come on, give the Lord a shout.